This year, the church celebrates 500 years of Reformation. Martin Luther got it all started back in 1517, and today we continue looking at the five pillars that came from that Reformation, the five pillars of faith, next. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Hi there, and welcome to our program. Today, we continue with our series on the five solas, those five pillars of the Reformational faith, in part celebrating 500 years of Reformation. We would invite you to join us today as we focus in on solus Christus, Christ alone. What does that mean? when? The church came up with that 500 years ago. What were we saying, and how is it significant today? Join us and find out. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's program. Today we're going to look at the second one, solus Christus, which means Christ alone. Uh, these are Latin terms, solus meaning alone, and then the term, you fill in the blank there. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, I just want us to uh, look at verses 13 to 18. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 18. In verse 13, uh, the gospel writer writes, Now when Jesus came in to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When we read those verses, I don't know what your background is. I come from a Catholic background. And for years, I misunderstood what those verses were saying. Because the church that I went to misunderstood what those verses were saying. And I think today, perhaps more than any other time in the history of our country, there, we live in a day of, of, you might call it, unparalleled spiritual confusion. There's just people all over the map. People are searching for truth, I think, like never before. They want to hear it. And they're looking for answers to the deepest questions of life in a lot of different ways. And it, you can see it all over the place. You've probably heard the little slogan or seen it on a bumper sticker. Jesus is the answer. I remember after that little sticker came out, somebody else put another sticker out. that said, if Jesus is the answer... What is the question? And that's so telling, especially for us as believers, because we just assume that people understand what the question is, and they don't. And the Reformation is basically built on five solas. The first one is sola scriptura, solus Christus, which we'll look at today, Christ alone, sola gratia, which is grace alone, sola fide, faith alone, and sola deo gloria, for the, for the glory of God alone. Well, I want to introduce our message for today, solus Christus by asking a simple question. What is fundamentalism? Because there was a day 
in the age of the church when you said you were a fundamentalist, that was a good thing. And unfortunately, people have taken that word, just like they take all, all the words, and they hijacked it. And so a lot of times, even at pastors' conferences, they'll say, well, what kind of church? I say, well, it's a Bible church. And even pastors will look at me cross-eyed and go, well, you're not a fundamentalist, are you? <laughs> and I have to say, well, it depends what you mean by a fundamentalist. Fundamentalism, fundamentalist is not a bad word. It's not, it doesn't mean that you're holed up in the mountain somewhere with your shotgun waiting for the government to come take you away. Okay? It doesn't mean that you believe in a flat earth or whatever. It, it, it doesn't mean anything like that. The word fundamental can basically describe any religious impulse that adheres to its basic tenets. Fundamentalism, for the purpose of our discussion today, is basically an understanding within the church that holds to the essentials of the Christian faith. That doesn't sound bad to me. However, that term is used in derogatory ways today, even among Christians. I did a little research, and it's, it's, it's interesting that the fundamentalist movement actually has its roots all the way back to Princeton Theological Seminary. And what it did, it had an association with the graduates of that institution. And two wealthy church laymen commissioned 97 conservative church leaders from all over the Western world to write 12 volumes of the basic tenets of the Christian faith. Then they published these writings and they distributed, distributed these writings over 300,000 copies of them free of charge to pastors and ministers and anybody else involved in church leadership. The books were entitled The Fundamentals. And they're still in print today. I think you can get them in a two-volume set. See, fundamentalism was formed in the, the late 19th century by conservative Christians. D.L. Moody, Warfield, others. And they did that because they were concerned about the moral values that were being eroded by the modern era. The belief that human beings, rather than God, create, improve and reshape the environment with the aid of scientific knowledge, technology, and practical experimentation. In addition to fighting the influence of modernism, the church was struggling with a higher criticism that came out of the, the German mind thought, my, thinking a lot of time, which sought to deny the very uh, basics of Scripture. They thought to deny the inerrancy of Scripture. And so fundamentalism is built on five tenets of the Christian faith. And I'm just sharing all this. It's not even your notes. But it's, it's important to understand because it's not a bad word. Well, what are these five tenets of the Christian faith? Well, first of all, that the Bible is literally true. We discussed this last two weeks ago. But associated with this is, is the belief that the Bible is inerrant, that it's without error, that it's free of all contradictions. Secondly, is the virgin birth and the deity of Christ. A fundamentalist would believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and conceived by the Holy Spirit and that he was and is the Son of God, fully human, fully divine. Thirdly, a fundamentalist would adhere to the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross. Fundamentalism teaches that salvation is obtained only through God's grace and human faith in Christ's crucifixion for the sins of mankind. Fourthly, fourth tenet of Christianity and even fundamentalism is the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. That on the third day after his crucifixion, that Jesus rose 
from the the grave, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And then the fifth one is the authenticity of Jesus' miracles as recorded in Scripture and the literal premillennial second coming of Christ to earth. Those are the basic tenets, the five basic tenets of the Christian faith and even fundamentalism. John MacArthur makes these points. He says, fundamental doctrine comes from Scripture. He points out in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that the Scriptures, Paul was telling Timothy, are able to make you wise unto salvation. He doesn't say somebody's book. He doesn't say human philosophy. He says, the Scriptures are able to make you wise. In other words, if a doctrine is essential for salvation, we can learn it from the Bible. The written word of God, therefore, must contain all doctrine that is truly fundamental. 2 Timothy 3.17, we went over this last week a little bit, says that the scriptures are able to make us adequate, equipped for every good work. See, if, if there were necessary doctrines not revealed in scripture, what would happen? You would have to say, well, the scripture is not adequate. Because there's... there's Doctrines over here that aren't found in the scriptures. But that's not the case. Psalm 19.7, the psalmist wrote, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. That means that scripture is sufficient. Apart from the truths that God reveals through his word to us, there is no essential spiritual truth. There's no fundamental doctrine. There's nothing essential to soul restoration. You don't need to look beyond the written word of God for any essential doctrines. They're all found within the pages of Scripture. That's what Scripture alone means. Now, that's in stark contrast to the church that I grew up in, the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, that church basically commonly threatens eternal damnation for anyone who questions the decrees of the Pope or the dogma of the church traditions or councils. In other words, either you agree with them or you're anathema. For example, in Canon 1 of the Council of Trent, the 7th session, it pronounces anathema on anyone, which means, kind of, you're done, on anyone who says that there are more or less than the seven sacraments established by the council. So what's a sacrament? A sacrament is the thing that the Catholic Church believes earns grace from God. You have seven of them. That means if, if, the, if a Catholic even questions the sacraments of maybe confirmation or penance or extreme unction, anything like that, by the way, which are mentioned nowhere in Scripture, that person is subject to excommunication. And in the eyes of the Roman Catholic Church, is fit for eternal damnation. And they throw these anathemas around easily. If you disagree with anything that they say as far as these sacred doctrines go that are built upon the tradition of popes and people who've gone before in that church, you're anathema. You don't have an opportunity to question. That's the whole problem that that the Reformation seek to solve. Because the Catholic Church took the word of God and they said, okay, we will interpret this for you. You cannot read this. This is for us. We are the holy ones. We will take care of the holy writings. And the everyday person didn't have a copy of Scripture. It was illegal to have a copy of Scripture on certain occasions. I mean, stop and think about that. That's that's hard to understand. Think if you came to this church and I said, okay, surrender all your Bibles, I will tell you what you need to know. 
But that's exactly what people did. And so it's important to understand that fundamental doctrines come from Scripture and Scripture alone. Secondly, John MacArthur points out that fundamental doctrines are clear in Scripture. Not only do they come from Scripture, but they're clear. You don't have to have a gray area. It doesn't take rocket scientists. There's no secret knowledge. It's not a hidden formula to understand what the doctrines are that are necessary for the Christian faith in the Bible. There's no key necessary to unlock the teachings of the Bible. As I said earlier, the, the, the truth and teaching of the Word of God is not aimed at learned intellectuals who have degree after degree after degree after the name. It's simple enough even for a child. Matthew eleven twenty five. it says that at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. See, the Word of God is not a puzzle, beloved. It doesn't speak to us in riddles or or cryptic messages or mysteries. It's plain. It's obvious. But you have to have spiritual ears to hear it. You have to be born from above. You have to be born again. You have to have the Spirit of God residing within you because you've trusted in the sacrifice of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 19.7 says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. See, being a simpleton is not always a bad thing. You know, I classify myself as a simpleton sometimes. You know, I hear people talk sometimes and it's like, what is that word? Does that word even exist? I don't know about you, but I get irritated with people that are talking to me or they're teaching. And the whole time they're teaching, they're using words that are a mile long. And, you know, it takes them, you know, 30 seconds to pronounce the word. And then they say, well, let me tell you what that means. It's like, why don't you just tell me what it means? Forget the word. You know, you're not impressing me. Just put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Make it easy for everybody. So they're in Scripture. They're they're clear in Scripture. Thirdly, fundamental doctrines include everything essential to saving faith. For something to be considered a fundamental doctrine, it needs to be essential for saving faith. And Scripture is full of statements that identify the terms of salvation and marks of genuine faith. In Hebrews 11.6, it says, Without faith it is what? Impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. That verse makes faith essential to having that right relationship with God. Well, fundamental doctrines include every doctrine we are forbidden to deny. Fundamental doctrines include every doctrine that we are forbidden to deny. In other words, there are certain doctrines that as a Christian, if you deny that doctrine, you're not a Christian. You can boldly say that based upon what the Word of God says. Now, you know, there's, there's certain teachings of Scripture that carry threats of even damnation for those that deny them or don't believe them. Other ideas are expressly stated to be affirmed only by unbelievers. But when we talk about fundamental doctrines, these are things that, as a believer, you need to hold on to. You need to believe this. If you don't believe it, you're probably not a believer. We've been going through the study of 1 John on Wednesday nights, and we've seen some of the fundamental doctrines come out. The doctrine of sin is a fundamental article of the faith. Because in 1 John 1, 6... The Bible says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. It condemns 
the idea that, you know what, it's just free grace, just do whatever you want. The idea that as Christians, we're under no law at all. That's an antinomian kind of mindset today, even for some people within the church. Well, you know, God's forgiven everything, so I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. You're, you're, you're held to this rule of law. You're held to live in accord with what God's word points out for us to live by. So the doctrine of sin would be one of those items. Another statement that comes out of a humanistic philosophy today is that people are basically good. We hear that all the time. Well, he's a good guy. Man, I just wish he would come to Christ. <laughs> Why does he have to come to Christ if he's a good guy? And that's what First John covers too. Verse 8, chapter 1. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is what? Not in us. It doesn't say, well, there may be a little truth. No, it says there's no truth in you at all if you can't admit that you're a sinner. Because people are not basically good. The Bible said that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. He says in verse 10 of 1 John chapter 1, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Doubles down on it. Remember, John is who? He, he, he's the apostle of love. And yet he's saying some very difficult things. Why? Because he's the apostle of love. See, don't be deceived into these feel-good messages you hear today on TV and radio and everything. That Oh, boy, that just makes me feel so warm and cuddly. But what does it do for you spiritually? Is it building you up in your faith? Or is it making you more like the world? Is it convicting your heart and your soul? Or is it just allowing sin to continue in your life? 1 Corinthians 16.22 makes love for Christ a fundamental issue. He says, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Wow. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. In a similar verse in 1 Corinthians 12.3, Paul says that no one speaking by the Spirit of God can call Jesus accursed. You see where the focus is. It's, it's on the Son of God here. Another truth is the truth of the Incarnation. It's a fundamental doctrine. 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 to 3, because they were dealing with Gnosticism back in the day, and they believed that the Gnostics basically believed that the spirit was good and everything physical was evil. So when Jesus came along and said, well, I am God in a bod, they said that's impossible. God could never indwell an evil body because it's material. They denied the incarnation of Christ. And John addresses that in 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. He says, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is, has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit, listen, that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. In other words, it's against Christ. In 2 John 7, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. See, those verses, by implication, condemn those who deny the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if he was not virgin born, he would be merely what? A human. He, wasn't, he wouldn't have been the eternal God come in the flesh, which Scripture proclaims him to be. Another Fundamental doctrine, an idea here is that fundamental doctrines are all summed up in one person. That being the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
And the way, the, the reason I say that is because Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, he says this. No man can lay a foundation other than that which was laid, which is what? Jesus Christ. See, when we read those texts out of Matthew 16... I was always taught, well, yeah, you know, the first pope was Peter, and upon the, the foundation of Peter, that's what the church was, was built. Well, that's not what it's saying. Do you think that God is going to build uh, his whole future ex- existence on earth through the church? The thing that his son came and died and, and, and to purchase, the saints, and he's going to put all that on somebody like Peter? Really? I mean, come on. I mean, Peter was a great guy, depending on which day of the week you met him. You know, in school, we were taught, one of my professors said, yeah, we we refer to Peter as Pendulumic Peter. Over here, he's, I'll never deny you, Lord. And then he's hiding like a little girl over here. You know, it just depends on which day you catch him. And you know what? Not to criticize Peter, because a lot of us are the same way, right? So, I mean, we can't be critical of him, but... He obviously was not a stable factor to build the whole church upon. Well, what is the church built upon? It's, t- it's built on the statement that Peter made. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. The church is built upon Christ. He is the foundation. He is the cornerstone. That's what scripture tells us. And so today when we come to our Second, sola, solus Christus, Christ and Christ alone is the object of our faith. We have to put this in perspective. We want to pronounce Christ as the exclusive Savior. Now that creates a lot of problems in the day and age we live. We live in what we would call a postmodern age. Or some people would even call it the information age. And basically... If that term basically means that we live in an age in which our culture has largely abandoned any notion of truth, of absolute truth. They just don't believe that. And years ago, most Americans shared a a common moral fabric that was based on nothing other than the teachings of the Bible. That's what it was based upon. The Judeo-Christian tradition. That's what helped us to understand what was right and what was wrong. There were some things that were permitted in society. There were other things that were not. They allowed us as a people and a culture to really come together, even from diverse backgrounds, and to live together in peace. Because there was kind of a standard of behavior. Well, today in 2017, the consensus basically has disappeared. That's why a lot of Americans, even Christians, you ask them how they feel about abortion or pornography or adultery or, or the idea of divorce or, or gay rights. They're all over the map. Why? Because they're not adhering to what the rule that God has already laid down for us. See, in the old days, we didn't have to debate those kind of issues. Because why? We shared a, an, a, a value system that taught us that, you know what? It's wrong to kill an unborn baby. That's wrong. Or that adultery is not always a good idea. It's evil. That homosexuality is not something that God created men and women to experience. That it's shameful. And that pornography corrupts morality across the board. 
One writer said this, if the old Trinity was the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the new Trinity is this, tolerance, diversity, and pluralism. All truth is relative. What do we worship? As a society, we worship tolerance. We celebrate diversity. We praise pluralism. And you know what? Woe to the man or woman who dares to speak out against the new Trinity. Because there's no compromise that's possible between those who believe God has spoken and those who either don't believe it or don't accept it or don't think moral judgments should inform public policy. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. By the way, we do have another way that you can access resources from us here at Graceful Truth. Simply download our brand new app. As you go to the App Store, simply look for GraceBibleChurch-CA. Free and ready for download on Android and OS App Stores. Thank you so much for taking advantage of these resource materials. It's our hope and prayer that you are using them for your further growth in Christ. Again, simply go to the App Store and look for GraceBibleChurch-CA and download our app today. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.